What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuff online and making a lot of money in the process. And on this show, I sit down with these indie hackers to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. I'm here with Marie Margins, the founder of Tally, co-founder, really. Marie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So you are, I should say, a, like not a brand new founder. You've been at this for maybe a year and a half, two years. But I like to talk to people like you, who I find in the Indie Hackers product directory, where you're posting all these updates about how your progress is going. And you kind of just started recently to give other people yeah. an idea of what it's like to be an indie hacker today. You know, Because I typically interview people who've been running their companies for five years, 10 years, and they're already huge. But you started your company kind of in the middle of the pandemic, not that long ago. Right. Yeah, well, we're super new to the space, actually. Uh, even at Indie Hackers was new to me. I've been in, in marketing jobs before, but I, was, I really wasn't aware of like this whole Indie Hacker world before we started Tally. And just because Tally was being picked up in a lot of like no-code communities, somehow we also um, ended up um, being more active. And that's also just, for me, it's just also a big source of inspiration and seeing how other people are, are bootstrapping their businesses because that was also a whole new world um, to us. Yeah. Well, your story is inspiring to me. Like I was reading through some of your updates and looking at your stats. You launched Tally, I believe, in like October of One last year. One year ago. A year yeah. ago. Yeah. Uh, at the height of the pandemic. And like, this is not like, you're not like a mature SaaS company. You know, you haven't been doing no. this for a decade. You're competing with a ton of a very crowded field of competing products who have already sucked up you know, most of the customers <laughs> in the space who are making many millions or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, and you're trying yeah. to carve out your niche. And already yeah. a year later, you're making uh, tens of thousands of dollars. You have, I think, over 10,000 users of Tally. Yeah, yeah. We actually just reached 10,000 users a couple of weeks ago. So that was a big milestone to us. But like you say, we, we're entering a super crowded market. So a lot of people call us crazy. And the market is super competitive, for sure. But a lot of players have similar business models. And we just wanted to do something else. And we also wanted to offer a different form building experience. So that's kind of right. how we tried to differentiate ourselves. Right. Plus, we're just a team of two. So we don't need to become a, a multi-billion dollar company. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that's also a big difference for us. If we can like claim a, sh a small piece of the market, we can become very happy um, with that. Yeah. So you're a very small team, two people. You're moving quickly. Yeah. You're iterating quickly. You're growing rapidly. You're carving out a niche. You're not afraid to take on big incumbents because you don't necessarily need to make billions of dollars. <laughs> you're probably fine if right. you get to millions of dollars. Uh, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever anticipate that you could grow as fast as you have in this first year? No. we. I mean, to be honest, we had no idea what we were starting with. We started building our MVP last summer. And so, yeah, mainly Philip, because he's a technical co-founder, um, built it in like two months. And it was a super, super basic version. You could not even publish a form. You could just type and insert some blocks. 
And I just spent my time on some, you know, market research and uh, trying to build out a network and, and just really cold outreach and just browsing through the internet and finding people who might want to give feedback uh, on our MVP. Uh, we just saw that people really seemed to like the, the form building experience, even though it was still very immature. And that's why we thought, okay, there might be something here. Um, because in the right. beginning, we thought just the form builder, it's really not going to be enough. We need to build something else. We were thinking more about databases and something like Airtable. But then we realized, yeah, like building a form builder, it's already a huge challenge. And the first months, we, yeah, we didn't really grow very fast. We also didn't have a paying plan yet, so people could not pay. Um, that only came in October, November. Now we also had a baby somewhere in between those months. So it's actually only beginning this year that we really started like properly working on it and growing the product. And our goal was to be like ramen profitable by the end of this year. And we're probably not going to make that. I think we will, you know, come a bit short, but we're definitely happy with the progress that we're making. Yeah. So explain to me briefly what Tally is. I'm on your website right now. It says Tally is the simplest way to create forms. What does that mean right. exactly? So the idea basically is Tally is a blank page, so you can just start typing. It has a bit of the same um, approach like Notion does. You just start typing with shortcuts. You can insert blocks. Um, this way you can very easily create any type of form. You can make a survey, a contact form, feedback form. You can embed your forms on your website and you can also connect them to other tools with some built-in uh, integrations. And you can do all of that for free, basically. So we also have like no limits on the number of forms you make or the number of responses uh, you collect, which is a big difference with, with our competitors. And what does it mean to make a form? Like who's actually making these forms and what are they using them for? Well, right now, most most of our users would be um, indie hackers, creators, you know, startup founders, people that want to sell products online, product people that want to collect feedback, can be someone that is an office manager and wants to plan a party, um, someone who runs a podcast or a newsletter, wants to collect email addresses, anyone that wants to yeah, collect any type of, of, of data, basically. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I use forms at Indie Hackers, for example. When you sign up for Indie Hackers, when I send you the intro email, the first thing you do is you get a link to a survey, which is just a yeah. form. And I collect a bunch yeah. of information to find out who's joining Indie Hackers, where do they live, what are they interested in, etc. So it's super right. useful to have software that helps you easily create forms. Almost every business needs forms in some ways. So yeah, there's definitely um, a huge market for forms. Right. So earlier I was talking about some of these challenges that you've gone through. I mean, this is a crowded market. A lot of people have built form builders in the past. And I frequently talk to Andy Hackers who, who face this challenge. I just talked to my buddy AJ, who runs Card, a website builder. And guess what? Before him, people have built website builders in the past. And so I want to dive into how you were able to carve out this niche for yourself and build a successful form builder in such a crowded market. Um, but maybe first, let's go back to like your origin. You and Philip, I believe, are from Belgium. And I have no idea right. what the startup scene is like in Belgium. Are the people around you, you know, growing up or in your professional work, you know, are they are they surprised to see you starting a company like this? Is this something that's commonly done? Yeah, no, it's not common. I mean, um, so uh, Philip is from Bulgaria, 
and I'm from Belgium, but we live in Belgium together. Um, but in both our countries, the startup scene is not really uh, booming. It's nothing compared to, to the States, for example. We live in a small town or city called Ghent, and there is some startups. There are some startups, but it's definitely not common to have like a lot of people in your friend group, you know, founding a company, um, let alone like bootstrapping it. So for like my friends and family, it was definitely, I wouldn't say a shock, but Flemish people are quite conservative and more cautious with these things. So like not having an income is definitely not like a normal thing yeah. <laughs> um, back here. So yes, I mean, people are surprised. People still don't get what we do. So you said you live in Ghent. Is that G-H-E-N-T? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. It's a beautiful city. It's like it built along the water. So it's almost... It's just all these canals and boats and yeah. these very historic old buildings. It's a really pretty city. Um, but I was born in Rooch, and it's also like a really pretty historical city. So I'm I'm kind of used to it, I guess. But yeah, you should you should definitely come and visit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really cool for me to like see the different cities that people and the hackers really are building companies in, because like if you're not raising money and you're not part of the startup scene, like there's no real reason why you have to be. In Silicon no. Valley. Like, you don't have to be in San Francisco paying $6,000 a month for a two-bedroom apartment. You can be in a right. much more beautiful city, you know, yeah. in your home country, paying way less and living in uh, a very cool cultural place. So, uh, Yeah, we, were, we actually wanted to, like, we wanted to travel through Asia and have, like, lower living costs. But that was actually, you know, like, the big uh, digital nomad uh, dream. We had that and we wanted to to leave, basically, just when when COVID hit, so we 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 were on a plane and we were in Bangkok for like Bangkok for two weeks, but we had to return back home just because of COVID. So our idea was to travel and work on our first startup, but it never really happened. So now we're kind of stuck here. We're a small family now, and we need to take into account other things like daycare. And so mm -hmm. that's why we're here. I think if it was not for that, we would have probably been in a in a bit more uh, in a warmer, more tropical <laughs> environment. Yeah. <laughs> so this is another risk, I think, of being an indie hacker. You're a small family, you have a child. And for, I think, your first 10 years out of school, like you basically worked very stable tech jobs. You're a marketing manager, yeah. you're a communications manager, you're a product manager. And then you decided to be an indie hacker and you quit your job, which I imagine is a very dramatic thing to do because you yeah. know you're not going to be making any money possibly right. anytime soon. What was that that process like? I mean, the story of you quitting your job and what that felt like. Quitting my job was, I mean, it was definitely a mental process that went before that. Like I didn't decide it in one day. I think because we had a startup ID that we were both very excited about, that kind of really motivated me. And then next to that, there's also just because Philip has had sold his previous startup, we kind of had some financial backup to do this. Um, so I guess that's also important to mention. It's like we're not students. We, we're not like just graduated without any money, which makes the jump to becoming an indie hacker a lot bigger. You know, we had the financial stability to say, okay, we're going to like take... Our idea was actually to take one year and just see where the startup start ID would go. And, you know, what would what would the worst thing be that could happen i mean nobody thought about a, a pandemic of course but you know just with the idea in the back of our heads that we can always just 
find a new job in tech somewhere. Of course, like the most difficult thing for me was not having like a recurring salary or a paycheck every month. But when you make money as an employee, you're, you know, it's just normal. You have your yeah. money coming in every month. But when you make like your first sale and like Tally is very cheap. So when we make like $29 a month with a new client, the, that feeling is incredible. It's way more so exciting, I, isn't it? It's so exciting. You're like, you get like the stripe alert and you're really like <laughs> looking at the screen and thinking, oh my God, you know, someone just paid for something we made. And that uh, the feeling is still the same after a year. So I don't think that will change. So obviously you didn't start making money right out of the gate. You had sort of a no. windy path to get to where you are. The first company that you started that ever appeared on my radar was Hotspot. And yeah. I think you started this in like February of last year, like a yeah. month before the global pandemic became a huge thing and everything started getting locked down. So, and this unfortunately was a travel startup. Tell me about the idea behind Hotspot and, and how it worked. When we were traveling, we were in Mexico, Tulum, which is like the mecca of influencers. And we were kind of like joking about all the influencers that we saw on the beach. And at the time, there was also a lot of negative press um, about influencer marketing and people just wanting to stay for free and get everything for free. And somehow we started brainstorming about like all the beautiful hotels as well. And somehow we came up with the idea, like what if we make... Um, a platform that just has all these cool places around the world listed. And, you know, we connect them with travel influencers and they can both work together. Travel influencers can basically travel for free and stay at the hotels and the hotels get free marketing, which it was free for influencers and hotels would be the paying, paying customers. And we just reached our clients because we also had no experience in travel whatsoever so we just did a lot of cold outreach like mass emails to hotels and that's how we got our first clients but because of the pandemic yeah we lost a lot of our clients and we just decided to keep on working on the product for a bit because we hadn't invested a lot of time in it um, before that and we didn't just want to quit so Philip started like building features and I was writing content and we thought, you know, when things get better, maybe by summer, because how long can this thing uh, last? Um, <laughs> well, probably, uh, you know, we'll be ready and we'll launch again. That's classic founder yeah. optimism right there. <laughs> of course, by summer, um, yeah, we realized that we were kind of fucked. So, Yeah. You know, we were also both working full-time on this, no salary. Half of our year that we gave ourselves to start this thing was gone. It didn't seem like things were going to get better in the foreseeable right. future. That's super tough when you have like that uh, that sort of runway set out for yourself. Like, I'm going to take two, like one year to do this. And then half, yeah. of, half of the year goes by and you're like, I'm basically at ground zero. <laughs> the thing yeah. I tried to not work. Like I've been in that position. I know many other thousands of people have been in that position. How do you not get demoralized when you realize like you've spent so much time on something that's probably not going to work? Yeah. I mean, we did get demoralized. But of course, yeah, this for me, it was also the first time doing this. So, you know, we still wanted to make something out of it. Uh, but I think it was mainly Philip that said, you know, this pandemic, it's not going anywhere. And if we just keep waiting for the travel industry to pick up again, we might wait for another year. And then what? 
And then we organized this fundraiser for health workers um, in Belgium to give them a night uh, for free on a hotel. And then we also needed a form again. And we just started talking <laughs> about these forms. And yeah, just one day we thought, hi, there's not really a form builder that we really like, but there's there's a thumb, but you know, they, they're also expensive or, or they have like these annoying paywalls that we don't like. Yeah. like. What if we do things differently? But then of course, you know, as you say, like super competitive market. So it, it took us some time to really convince ourselves yeah. of the idea. And it's also not like we really did a lot of user research or anything. We just right, yeah, kind of made the MVP and did it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that most people, when you're working on something and you see, I don't know, like, oh, I'm trying to use this form and it's so frustrating, stop there. Right. Like I use a million products a day or a week where I'm like, this is very frustrating. It couldn't be better. But then I don't necessarily think I'm going to quit what I'm doing and then start, you know, a competitor <laughs> to these other things. I guess in your situation, yeah. that was more obvious because what you're doing wasn't working that well. And the pandemic wasn't coming to an end and it didn't look good for your travel business. Were you tossing around a bunch of other ideas at that time? Well, we needed to do something else and we didn't have a lot of ideas. <laughs> so it's not like we had a long list of, of things. Um, I, actually, I don't really remember. I think there was one podcast app that we also talked about, but never really, never really thought that through. Right. So this was more of a, it, you know, it had some combinations of things we both liked because I worked with a lot of forms and marketing automation tools and right. I was quite enthusiastic about it and then philip you know we were both really heavy notion users as well and mm -hmm. he also really liked their Me interface too. and he wanted to create something similar so it i just i don't know it just made us happy thinking about it and that's how, right. how things started yeah I like starting your ideas that way because it's it's you're kind of starting from an emotional center. Like, what am I interested in? Who do I want to hang out with and talk to? Like, what kind of tools do I want to build, et cetera? And like, that's not you know obviously the most thorough idea validation process, but at the no. very least, you're making sure that you're going to build something that you enjoy working on. You're checking those boxes, and those are some of the most important boxes to check. Definitely, and also because hotspot, like, of course, we enjoyed it, but. We really like traveling, but we're not really that fond of like the whole influencer marketing industry. And that's right. also something realized when we started working in it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the probably most important question when you're starting any business and you're trying to figure out if you're going to enjoy working on it is who are your customers going to be? Are these people that you're going to have fun talking to every day and negotiating with and selling with and having jumping on calls with? And if it like turns out to be like hotel owners... And they're not super tech savvy and like that's not really your people you might not like that business very much no indeed and now our first customers now were a lot more like just like us you know people right. starting businesses yeah and, and creatives and and designers and indie hackers and it just it's just a very interesting space to be in right so the other hesitation people might have in your situation is okay maybe the existing players aren't that good uh, maybe we don't have that many ideas but like don't you need a new idea? Don't you need to like build something that's never been built before, solve a problem that's never been solved? Most people I talk to who want to start a company have this idea in their head that they can't join a market. They can't build a competitor to something that's already big. Why didn't that fear stop you? We didn't really have that fear that much. I, I remember at the time we were also, we also joined the Y Combinator startup school. 
and every like with a weekly call and every call we did everyone kind of like need to give feedback to each other everyone said but it's not new like it's not a startup Mm. because it's not a new idea and i just became so frustrated because i mean how do you still invent something new it's it's not that easy nowadays like something that hasn't been made before so for us it was more about how can we make it better or different and and convince people to choose for us in that way it's funny that there's so much like there's such an addiction to new things and this this weird idea that like to have a startup everything must be new and it's like well if you look even at the biggest vc funded startups of all time like People were building computers before Apple built computers. People like there were search engines before Google. There were yeah, social Google networks before Facebook. One. Like right. there were e-commerce companies and bookstores before Amazon. Like none of the biggest startups ever were like the first people to do the thing that they did. Almost none of them. And so the idea that as an indie hacker, you need to solve some completely unsolved problem is kind of it's weird to me where that comes from. I think it's almost like we equate startups with this idea of inventions. But a startup and an invention are two completely different things. A startup is a business that's meant to help people solve problems. An invention is, you know, creating some new thing in the world that may or may not work or help solve, anyone solve anything. It might just be a patent that goes nowhere. And so I think sometimes we get sucked into this idea of looking at startups as inventions when that's not necessarily the case. Obviously, coming up with the idea is not, you know, the end of the, of the journey. You've got to figure out what to do next. And you've made it a long way since then. Like we said earlier, you're making tens of thousands of dollars. You've got 10,000 customers. What's the first step in that journey after you come up with the idea? Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, the first step was building the MVP. Like I said before, it was, it was really basic. And we just like really started really small and shared it with friends and family and just asking for for some feedback and once we did that so we like split it up in rounds we we made like groups of okay we're gonna ask these friends first because they're a bit more tech savvy and then we're gonna ask the friends that probably have no clue what a form is just to see like would they be able to to use it so in that way we did do some like user testing and once we had that group and like yeah implemented their feedback and made some changes we um, started reaching out to you know companies we've worked at some startups that we know and then just i started making lists of people on product hunt on indie hackers that seemed interesting that might be interested in giving us feedback um, on our product and I just started emailing, DMing them. This basically really called outreach, like, "Hey, I'm Mighty. We're building this prob. We're building this new product. Would love your feedback if you have five minutes." Of course, a lot of people didn't re- reply to that, but a lot of them also like did reply, which also gave us some validation. Like, "Oh wow, you know, this startup founder took the time to open our message and and try it out for a bit." And if they did. A lot of people liked it, like they had a lot of feedback, but they liked the idea and they liked how, right. how the form builder worked. So we kept on doing that and we were still trying to do that a bit less than we did before. And actually, we should do it more because that's how everything started. I love this idea of sort of tag teaming and where like Philip as a software engineer can work on this project and try to get an MVP out the door. But while he's doing that, it's not like nothing is happening. You're constantly talking to people and asking them questions and trying to figure out if you're going in the right direction. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it work for us is that like we're like 50-50, product and developing features and 50% marketing, sales and Mm -hmm. whatever um, 
needs to happen. I guess that's a good balance. Uh, you had a, a background in marketing. Like I was mentioning earlier, you spent a lot of time working at tech companies, basically fulfilling these roles. I think most people who are starting these companies have no idea how to do marketing, et cetera. And so I'm curious like, if your background helped you out and how someone can go from not knowing anything to figuring out how to promote their startup and get those first users in the door. I guess the biggest difference is that my job now is a lot more hands-on than it used to be. Like I managed a team in the previous company where I worked, where now I do everything uh, by myself. But I've always worked in quite small companies, definitely the last ones I worked in. So that was really useful to be able to, okay, I need to write a newsletter, you know, what tool do I use? How do I do this? I need to make visuals to share on social media. I can do that myself. That's not a problem. You know, I need to make a landing page and Webflow or work with Figma. Like all these super practical things really help me out because I can just do all of that myself and I didn't really have yeah. to learn it anymore. What was more new for me was like the community building part. Like how do I get in touch with people that want to use our product a bit more yeah, just reaching out to people and, and asking for feedback. That, that were things I didn't really, you know, I hadn't really done before. Are there any like resources, books or people or philosophies that you've like followed or learned a lot from to help you sort of grow Tally? Like, um, who are you learning from? Like everyone on Twitter, <laughs> Indie Hackers, Reddit. Like I just, I, I read a lot of things that I just see online. I think a few years ago, I read the intercom on marketing, how they how they started. They have an ebook on that. And I find that a, that just a great resource. It, it really explains how they started from zero to where they are now. A big part is about content marketing as well. Yeah, intercom on marketing is good. It's like a, a PDF of sort of their growth hacks and how they got to their first 30,000 customers or whatever. But like, it's it's ironic that that book itself in and of itself, is a marketing tactic for them. Because to download that, that PDF, uh, I think it's like 150 pages or something, it's like you have to like put in your sort of email address and your name, etc. And then they start marketing Intercom to you <laughs> as they help yeah, you with this. but it's a great way for them to do lead generation. And yep. it's so smart as well because they describe it. You know, we are a startup, but we started making content for startups because that was they were also our target audience. Um, yeah. And I guess that's also what we are trying to do, you know, like we're building in public. Uh, we're sharing our bootstrap journey just because we like to do that as well and we like to do we like to learn from other founders but at the same yep. time these other founders might also be potential tally users they have a quote in here from simon Sinek where he says people don't buy what you do they buy why you do it and their point mm -hmm. in this in this book on marketing is that basically in, in the past everybody used feature based marketing they would say what your company yep. does and then tell people why they need that but Intercom says that SaaS has changed that landscape. And now that it's so competitive, you can't differentiate yourself on product alone. You need to reverse your marketing and tell people why your company exists and get them to buy into your mission and then tell them how you're doing what you do and then tell them what it is that you do. I wonder how much you agree with that. Is that like useful feedback for a new indie hacker? I think definitely, but I also would not take that like too seriously, you know, because in the end, like with Tally, we also use a lot of like our product as a marketing. You know, our new features are also content, are also marketing for us. 
Um, and that's not necessarily always about the why, you know, like why would you use Tally, you know, to save money, to save time, to get more leads, all these things. But for us as a small player to use that and to, you know, we're obviously not intercom. We cannot start creating content about this, these big topics because <laughs> all the other big players do that. So you do need to kind of go a bit more concrete. So I, I think it's definitely valuable for yourself to think about it and to know why people would use your product but mm. i don't always take it like that black and white uh, definitely right. not in our landing page for example i think for a lot of productivity tools whether it's you know a document editing tool like notion or a form builder like tally the sort of feature updates are super juicy like every time notion releases a little update and says hey we've got a new update here's our new features i read through the entire update to see like what's yeah. possible with notion because i'm so excited about it or i just started using this sort of vr product that lets you sort of collaborate with your peers like this this office setting called horizon workrooms and like i'm so excited about it it's so cool and every time there's an update like i want to read all the features are so it makes sense that like for tally users who are already existing users like they're going to want to know when you release new features because they're already so familiar with your software and so bought into your mission that it resonates with them but i wonder what what it is that you do to reach people to basically grow to ten thousand users who didn't know what tally was before you know who are these people who are willing to switch over from Google Forms or switch over from Typeforms or who possibly weren't using anything and decided to start using Tally? Yeah. Well, our first users, you know, were basically called Outreach. Uh, and then we launched on Product Hunt in March. And that was just gave us a big, big boost in, in user growth. Just gave us a lot of visibility. And after that, it was really a combination of us, like, creating more content and and trying to push our domain authority a bit and SEO wise to rank a bit higher, which is, it's quite, it's quite difficult for us, I must um, admit, combined with just trying to answer as many questions on every forum that you can imagine uh, about forms, especially on Twitter, you know, type form, I don't know if you, you're, you know, has recently changed their pricing. So it became basically more expensive and a lot of people were not happy with that which was of course a good yeah something good for us because on twitter like everyone started complaining about like type form became so expensive and the good thing was that we didn't even have to uh, mention tally but a lot of our users started like mentioning tally as an alternative I mean, it's such a cliche, but talking to our users, which we really, you know, do every day, um, growing our own little community um, on Slack now, we we have a couple of hundreds of users that are so engaged and that really help us with like making courses, sharing Tally everywhere, making YouTube tutorials, because by ourselves, we just don't have the means and the time to do so. You know, everyone who fills in a form sees that the form was made with Tally. So we have like a right. powered buy batch, which is a really important um, channel for us. That's also the main reason why Tally is, is so free, because we can just reach a lot more people in this way. And I guess just what helped us a lot were the no-code communities. Like, for example, in France, there's a very big no-code community that kind of has embraced us from the start and really promoted us. And we have a lot of like French customers just because of that. And because in the beginning, we didn't really know, like we didn't really know what no-code was. We were not aware that we were building a no-code tool. Because it's a <laughs> form builder. Yeah, there's so much here to talk about. I want to talk about 
no code and catching these big waves and how founders can take advantage of these big opportunities like you have. I want to talk about product-driven growth. Uh, a lot of the people that I've talked to recently have had products that kind of advertise themselves and you have the same thing going on with Tally and your badge. And so that's a really cool way to grow. Maybe before those, like your timeline, because you launched, you said on Product Hunt in March of this year. Yeah. But you launched like Tally, you kind of opened it up to users well, well before that. It wasn't like yeah. you spend six months coding and then once you were done, you opened the doors and your first users came from Product Hunt. No. You had many months in late 2020 of using the product and putting a price tag on it and getting your first users in the door before you decided to launch on Product Hunt. Yeah. The main reason was, you know, because it's such a competitive market, we didn't want to launch our MVP on Product Hunt because we know that a lot of feedback we would receive would be like, okay, it's nice, but you don't have this feature yet and this feature yet. So we did want to have like a set of basic features that would put Mm -hmm. us at least, you know, somewhere close to uh, competitors before we launched on Product Hunt because we just didn't want to get all the obvious feedback like you just you just don't have enough features yet so that was an important one for us also because we we do know like the value of a product hunt launch and it can get get you a lot of visibility and we also don't want to launch something every month on product hunt so we try to prepare it well and yeah also as i said before actually we wanted to launch on product hunt in december 2020 but our daughter was born three weeks early, like unexpectedly. So we had to uh, delay it. Um, and also it's our first child. And we thought, oh, we'll just do yeah. it afterwards. But yeah, that was not really <laughs> possible. <laughs> so somehow it became March. So that's like, yeah. that's the biggest reason. We wanted to have yeah. some users already just so they would support our launch. And then we just hugely underestimated having a baby. And those yeah. two things made us uh, launch only in March. <laughs> Tell me about that. Because my um, my best friend, Len, just had a baby in January. And she's an indie hacker. She had a very successful business before that. And it's very passive. So she's been able to like continue running her business and taking care of her baby. And it hasn't been awesome. super duper stressful as you might as one might think. I wonder what the experience has been like for you. Because Tally was brand new. Like you hadn't even launched on Product Hunt yet. Oh. And you were doing all this stuff while you were like six, seven, eight, nine months pregnant, <laughs> presumably. And then you've done everything since then with a brand new newborn that you and Philip had to yeah. take care of. What's, what's that been like? I mean, it, it definitely was super stressful for us. It was not not that chill being pregnant was fine because then we were also in lockdown so we had nothing else to do than being pregnant and working on the product once she was born we had a lot of difficulties with like you know we wanted to work on it but we also of course wanted to spend time with the baby and especially you know for me as being the mother and you know breastfeeding and everything I had to spend I mean of course I couldn't work in the same capacity as before but for Philip as well, uh, I guess he planned like to go back to to a normal working days after a couple of weeks. But then we thought, you know, we like we're trying to create this life where we have the freedom to do what we want, and now we actually could also just enjoy this time that we have together. So in the end, he also just yeah sp- spent more time with us. I guess around three weeks before he really started working again. So we just decided to take that time and then we tried to, uh, when she was a bit older, to work in shifts. So someone would work in the morning, someone would work in the afternoon and then in the evenings. Yeah, we tried to like 
make schedule, but that just uh, just didn't really work out. And right. we just had to accept like, okay, we have a baby now. There's no way <laughs> we can work the same amount of hours like we used no, to. No, no way. And once we accepted that, it was fine. But she, yeah, she stayed home for like, five months with in Belgium usually kids go to daycare after three months how do they fund like the daycares in, in Belgium is it something you pay for out of pocket as a parent yeah there's two types there's like uh, private ones so you just pay whatever they ask and then there's like government run ones and then you just pay by uh, your salary it's based on what you what you earn you you, you pay like a, a fee per day and yeah, I think our dollar started going after five months, which was great for us because it just gave us some kind of rhythm again. Although it is like more like a nine to five because, yeah, you have to bring her and pick her up on time. But at least it gave us like some some more focused time during the day. Cool. So now you and Philip are with baby, <laughs> accepted that you yeah. uh, can't work as many hours as you, as you once were and things are a little bit better once you've accepted that and, yeah. and stopped trying to fight reality and <laughs> you've launched on Product Hunt and things are going well. And there's a few things that I think you had going for you that I mentioned earlier that I want to dive into. The first one is this concept of, of sort of product-driven growth where your product grows itself. I love talking about this because it's something that you can think about early on as a founder when you're deciding what it is you want to build. And it's kind of this gift that keeps on giving. So the canonical example is something like a Hallmark gift card. Nobody buys a gift card and then just keeps it. Like you buy a gift card, you sign it, write a note in it, and then you give it to somebody else. And so it automatically advertises itself. Yeah. Or I was talking to John O'Nolan who who started Ghost, a blogging platform. Nobody like writes a blog just for themselves. I mean, some people do, but the vast majority of people like send their blog links to other people. And so then once they do, it kind of advertises like, hey, this is built with Ghost. And the same yeah. is true of form builders. You create a form on Tally. You don't just fill in the form yourself. You send the form to your colleagues and coworkers or customers or employees or whoever you want to fill out your survey. And then they get to see this little badge that says, this was built with Tally, which I think is such a good way to fuel growth. Yeah, definitely. And for us, because we're experimenting now as well, we, we first made this little badge, but we had no idea like how should it look. And we, we, we have one, we have actually a, like a bigger company using Tally and we had a lot of respondents of a form clicking the badge and like not understanding that we were the tool that the form was made with. They thought they were applying for something on the form. So a lot of like, just not qualitative leads, but it just, just because this form had a lot of traffic. And now that we have a bit of bigger volume of users, we, we can A-B test it, which is quite interesting. And now we're seeing there's like one very simple button that just says, you know, this form is made with Tally that is, is performing better than the others. Right. But that's that's it's cool to see just because our early users, let's say like a product company or startups, if they would use it, they're the, the people that would fill out those forms would usually also be people that were interested in Tally. And then they would say like, oh, this form looks kind of good. You know, how did you, how did you make it? And in that way, it kind of it sells itself. The other thing I wanted to ask you about before I let you get out of here is this idea that you've caught this wave with no code. And there's a lot of talk, you know, like luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And, you know, the timing is such an important part of business success. 
And what's kind of cool about timing is it, it can be more forgiving than I think a lot of people realize. So for example, you said you're you're so lucky to have built Tally during this time period. Well, like no code has actually been a big up and coming thing for like two, maybe three years now. And so it is a window in time that you can miss, but it's a really, really big window in time where at any point in time during those years, it's essentially a growing wave. And if you start building for it, you know, nine months ago, nine months after that, you're going to be much bigger. Yeah, De- yeah, definitely. I think for us, we just noticed that it was a big and growing space uh, once we launched Tally because so many people were just started talking about no-code tools and no-code right. communities started inviting us. But also um, when we launched on Product Hunt, we, we had like so many investors reaching out and i feel like a big part of that was because we were like in the no code category right yeah they can see the waves too and the trends they're like oh this is big and they see a path for you to get much bigger than you are right now and just like the sort of product driven growth thing like this is something you can think about as a founder early on if you want to you can easily sort of look out into the world and be like what's big you know what's (laughs) what's popping right now like what are people talking about like a lot of people are talking about Notion. It's growing tremendously. You can go on Google Trends and see like every month more people are talking about Notion. Maybe I want to build something that looks like Notion or that plays on Notion or that integrates with Notion. A lot of people are talking about no code. A lot of people are talking about crypto and Web 3.0. Like there are all these trends at any given time, like at least 5, 10, 20, 50 trends that you can sort of build on top of and ask yourself, will sort of when be at my back if I build in this space or will I be fighting against growth? So what's your advice for um, other indie hackers who are perhaps in the same position you were in a year and a half ago, where you're not sure, they're not sure what idea is the best one to work on, they're not sure if the thing they're working on right now is going to work. What would you say they could learn from your journey? I think, you know, a quite boring one is just be patient as well, because a lot of the days, you know, when you're not really growing and there's no new payments coming in, you can get demotivated really fast. But in the end, we just need to find what works and do it again and over and over every day. And it's not always the most fun tasks and, and, and things to do. I guess life as a founder is a lot less sexy than a lot of people would think it is. But just, you know, if you if I look back, I had days where I just sent cold DMs to like 100, 200 people per day. And, you know, it's not fun to do and you don't see an immediate result, but you, you do need to do it to just get some traction. But I would definitely say, you know, be patient. I love it. Be patient. Don't be afraid to do some drudge work, especially in the early days when yeah. even if you're making great strides, you might not necessarily see that in the numbers when you're first no. getting started. And don't be afraid to be pivot if things aren't working. Marie Martins, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was really nice talking to you. Can you let listeners know where they can go to learn more about what you're up to with Tally? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, we have our website, tally.so. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Tally Forums. Or you can follow me as well. It's where I share most of our um, of our journey. And it's at Mighty Martins on Twitter. All right. Thanks again. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.